What's up, Dunwoody? Today's show is with Steffi Kuntz from the city of Dorville. Uh, last year, she was elected to City Council District 3 by the thinnest of margins, winning her seat by only like six total votes. We talk about the, some of the differences between Dorville and Dunwoody. We get into the gentrification of Buford Highway and affordable housing at the Assembly. We learn a little bit about Dorville's thriving LGBTQ community. Steffi also sponsored the anti-discrimination ordinance, preventing business owners from discriminating against certain customers. That was a big deal for the whole state. Uh, Dorval passed that earlier this year, and at the time, they were only the second city in all of Georgia to approve such an ordinance. Now, other cities in the Atlanta area are quickly adopting similar measures, including here in Dunwoody. We recorded this conversation towards the end of the summer, but I wanted to keep all of the recent election candidate episodes together, so you're just now hearing it. Also, my microphone wasn't on for the first five full minutes of this conversation, which surprisingly has never happened before, although I'm sure it will again. My name is Matt Weber. I'm a residential real estate agent serving families in the Dunwoody area. Only 10% of you or so are selling your home this year, but um, all of you know somebody who is moving, so please pass my name along. You can find more information about me on our website, and there's a great home search tool there as well. My co-host is Justin Dyke, founder of PoolDues.com. Justin is my wife's older brother, and I feel very lucky that he's come on this journey with me. The What's Up Dunwoody brand has become a nice blend of the two of us, and we appreciate all of your support. Our third musketeer is the sponsor, Brett Friedman from Village Orthodontics. I've heard great things about his practice, and I finally went in for my first appointment. I thought he'd be cramming some sort of nasty goo all around my teeth to create a mold for my mouth. Instead, he ran a sensor across the top, sensor across the bottom, and a 3D model was created on the screen right in front of me. I'll have my Invisalign braces in a few weeks, top and bottom, and Brett assured me that no lisp will be heard on the podcast. Here's our conversation with Steffi Kuntz, our newest friend from Doraville. What's up, Dunwoody? Welcome back to the What's Up, Dunwoody podcast. We're here with Steffi Kuntz, city council member, uh, city of Doraville. Thanks Morning. For, thanks for coming on. No, this is uh, <laughs> thanks for having me. Uh, what do you want to talk about first? Can we, can we talk about weak mayors? Because this is kind of a new concept to me, and, and we have a new mayor coming in to Dunwoody eventually, right, in the next few months. And, uh, and that's what Doraville has, too, and I think Shamley has it as well. Correct. Um, the city of Doraville for decades, when I've lived in Doraville for over 30 years, and when I first came to Doraville, they had, I'm not sure if it was exactly a strong mayor, but the mayor acted as the city manager as well as the elected mayor. And he ran the day-to-day operations of the city, was head over all the departments, and there was a referendum about a decade ago where the citizens of Doraville elected to go to a city manager weak mayor form of government with a city council. And the way that works is you have a city manager that does the day-to-day operations of the city and acts as basically like the CEO of the city that can the department heads all report to, and she's responsible for the stuff that the staff is doing. Mm-hmm. And the mayor is more of a figurehead that would represent the city at events, would speak to the press, would give out news briefs and things like that, and also runs the council meetings, but they have no vote unless there's a tie. So with six council members and a mayor, if, for say, we have a 4-2 vote, she doesn't have a vote, and she only weighs in if there's a 3-3 tie, and then she splits the vote. And that's the way a weak mayor works. That's kind of interesting because the mayor can kind of get away with maybe not letting their opinion known about certain things because it's like, well, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, sometimes, you know, especially if it's a controversial thing, they may not, they may not weigh in. Right. But um, 
I know in our case, uh, when there's been a couple of people could perceive as controversial issues, like when we had our non-discrimination ordinance come up for a vote, we had a 4-2 vote, but the mayor did vocally support the ordinance so before the vote, even though she wasn't required to vote on it. Yeah. So they, it gives them the option of weighing in or not. Right. And that was Donna Pittman? Yeah, that was Don, Mayor Donna Pittman. Let's go into that then, the non-discrimination ordinance. You guys started that, and then the other cities around here have kind of done the same thing? That- yes. When um, the city of Atlanta did one 20 years ago, and when I, after I was elected, I felt like, given that Georgia is one of three states that has no civil rights protections for anyone, a lot of people don't realize that, even the federally protected class, there's nothing at the state level to uh, protect religion, race, sex, or you know any of the protected classes that we assume everyone has civil rights protections from. And the only way that you could get a resolution to an issue is file a federal lawsuit, which a lot of people don't have access to those sorts of resources. Okay. It's expensive, and you know it, it becomes a thing that only you know people with, Wealthy people with some privilege have access to protections for their civil rights. Right. Seems like a lot of work. I I get tired just taking the trash out. So from you know, it's like, <laughs> right. like, uh, I'll just I'll just get my rights trampled. It's okay. No, 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 exactly. And that's what would happen is a lot of people realized, especially if it was a you know if they just got thrown out of a restaurant or refused to be served, they would just say this isn't worth that much effort. Where if they could go down to city hall and file a complaint and then it got acted on. That's a process that a lot of people would follow through with. Yeah, with somebody and helping you along. With someone helping you along the way. And so I felt this was an important thing to do. Plus, um, LGBTQ people are not protected at the federal level either. So uh, we have no protections. And, yeah. and I felt that was something that needed to be addressed. And so I worked with um, the Human Rights Commission and... Uh, trans equality and wrote a non-discrimination ordinance that worked within the framework of the state of Georgia laws and what they allowed cities to have power over and came up with an ordinance that passed mustard with our legal team and convinced three of my other council members to vote for it and got the support of the mayor and we passed it in uh, November of We'll say 2018, yeah. and since that time, what would be the reason to bl- try to block that? The two votes. I mean, yeah, I was about to say those people must look like real jerks. <laughs> actually, no, actually, it was a five. Without it, knowing their names. No, it, <laughs> no, actually, it ended up. I, it our, was it was a five-one vote. Okay. And we had one person, and she felt like that it should be a resolution, which I didn't feel like would actually do anything. Resolutions to me or just kind of a feel-good thing that have no enforcement. And I don't believe that people pay much attention to those things. And so I wanted an ordinance that actually had an enforcement mechanism that people could be fined. And since that time, the several cities came up to me and asked me, hey, what you know, what's this ordinance you passed? And the city of Clarkston passed one. Then uh, Brian Mock worked to get one passed in Chambly. And most recently, here in Dunwoody, someone came up to the council and asked, why can't we have something like that? And I guess y'all's elected officials thought, why don't we have something like this? And I was impressed that it was such a non-issue. It was passed on the consent agenda. They just 
rolled it in like it was renewing a trash contract. Um, well, I've heard this thing where like if if two out of five of the the states, so I guess twenty states do something. Wait, is that math right? Um, the rest are, are soon kind of follow suit, right? So, like, let's say legalization of pot. Like, eventually, we're, we're all going to get there just because we're like, wait a minute, Colorado's doing this, California's doing this. So maybe Dunwee was like, well, okay, we, you, you know, everyone's doing it. Let's discrimination. Just get everybody knows that that's wrong. You know? <clears throat> yeah, like, yeah. You know, eventually you, it'll get around. Right. Because you ask the question, it's like, so you're okay with discrimination? Yeah. And who's no, going? And who's going to feel okay saying yes with that? Yeah. Um. And. And that was kind of my goal with getting other cities on board is, and I've actively been recruiting, you know, talking with these other elected officials in other cities about passing this because I would like to see this done at the state level. And, you know, the state has been dragging their feet on this. And so I felt this would put pressure on the state level elected officials to move forward with some sort of statewide non-discrimination policy if they saw enough cities doing it that they realized that the citizens want this yeah yeah because if it, it, atlanta's on board and then you get all these suburbs and everything like that it just kind of spreads like wildfire right? and we've actually had um i've been work, i worked a lot with kathy woolard who's the past city council president of atlanta and she's working with Georgia Quality going around to cities around the state. And we've had people from um, Hapeville and Macon and Athens and, you know, outlying cities talking about wanting to do the same thing. That's cool. And so if, you know, it can be, we can get some of these rural cities on board with doing this, then it makes it more of a, more pressure on the state officials to do something and yeah. do the right thing. Yeah, it should be on paper somewhere anyway. Right, right. right. Well, I'm glad Doraville's kind of taking the lead with that. No, we, we felt like that, you know, we've got a large LGBTQ population in Doraville and have for a long time. Why, why and, do you think that is? Um, I think part of it could be related to the schools in Doraville. When when the Cross Keys cluster lines were redrawn years ago, they were busing all of the kids from Doraville basically down to Buckhead, oh, wow. where Cross Keys is. And a lot of families with children moved out of the city. And while there are some gay couples that have kids, a lot of them don't. Right. And so the school... Schools and the quality of the schools or the issues with the busing and the transportation and kids being on a bus for an hour every day each way. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't matter to them. Doesn't so matter much. to them. And so it drives down the property values having poor schools. Mm-hmm. And so it if you're not gonna if you don't have kids and you don't care about the schools, it's like, hey, I can buy this house for half of what the same house would cost in Dunwoody, and so they move in. Interesting. That's fascinating. Never guess that. Yeah. 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 And it, I think it has, if you look at the population in Doraville, I think the redistricting of the schools had a lot to do with how we ended up with the population mix that we do have there. Yeah. There's a lot of older people with empty nesters. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was campaigning, I did talk to a lot of families with kids that were growing up in a school age that told me when it comes time to send our kids to school, we're going to have to move, Yeah, which is something that I've been working to try to address 
with the Camp County School Board and get the conditions of the schools in Doraville brought up to where they should be. Yeah, they've been. I think a lot of schools, not not just in Doraville, but in Dunwoody and other areas, are getting overcrowded. They're getting run down. They're not being maintained at the level they probably should be. It's a big topic here <clears throat> the last few weeks, for sure. Exactly. And if you go look at the trailers and stuff, at one point, Kerry Reynolds had 26 trailers. Wow. Which is crazy because yeah. they had the same size lunchroom, and it took them like three hours to feed all the kids because you got this size lunchroom, and you got the school was designed for 700 kids, and at one point it had 1,500 students. Oh, my God. Those poor lunch ladies. <laughs> oh, exactly. And so, um, I mean, I'm, I'm excited that um, I know Donna worked with the school board to get the um, – Getting a new elementary school. The right? new elementary school yeah. up there, and hopefully that's going to take some of the pressure off. And I know that at least they're talking about redistricting the students in Doraville to go to the new expanded Chambly High mm. instead of being bused across town to Cross Keys. Yeah. And I think that will help a lot. And we're full, and you guys are full, and then the lower districts are undercrowded, underpopulated. But I know, there's, I know there's other elementary schools that are – I've seen pictures of that look as bad as Kerry Reynolds. So this is a countywide problem. I don't know what the solution is. You can't you can't keep cutting property taxes and school taxes and expect to be able to fund all these improvements that need to be done. Right. And how's I, how's Dorville dealt with that? We haven't raised our taxes since incorporating ten years ago and there's talk of wanting to do it from some people. We had to while we don't deal with we don't do the schools, mm, so right. the issues with the schools are unrelated to the city. We recently raised our millage rate because we felt like we didn't have the resources to provide services for the developers and people coming to the city wanting to build stuff. It's happening a lot around Doraville now. No, it is it is happening a lot. And Doraville has a very small tax base compared to Dunwoody. Yeah. Like one mill in Doraville, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but one mill in Doraville is worth like $600,000 to us. And one mill in Dunwoody is worth like $4 million. Oh, okay. Whoa. And so because the tax base is so much larger that uh, – you can provide the same levels of services at a much lower mill rate or more services at a much lower mill rate and have a larger staff and all of that kind of stuff paying less percentage of tax because right. you know the home values and you know all the commercial that that Dunwoody has the Dorville doesn't Right, and it's a lot. It's a lot larger footprint city too. Dorval's only like three square miles, oh, and that? we had the GM plant at one point that provided not only a lot of uh, property tax revenue. There was a lot of franchise fee money that the city got because we get cities get a percentage of like all the electricity that's sold, and so like if you've got this giant plant that's using a ton of electricity and using a ton of natural gas and all that kind of stuff, then the city gets a lot of tax money out of that too. Okay. So when the plant closed, um, the city lost all that money. Right. And so 
at the same well, assembly should pick up some of that slack. I right. Guess. Well, the the not only did the plant close, the recession hit at the same time, right. and then the housing market dropped through the floor, and you know at the same time, the I believe they lowered the mill rate. Whoops. <laughs> yeah, which was probably the wrong time to do that. And the city at one point had a nice, like, $7 million in reserves, and that's all gone now. They deficit spent through the recession, and we are where we're at, where we don't have, we've got, like, the minimum in reserves to cover operating expenses through slow times. I think we've got 20% of our annual budget in reserves now. And so we were at the point where we couldn't hire staff. We had one person on the city planning commission. We had one person in the economic development department. And that's when you come in. That's when you wanted to to step in. Well, that's that's (laughs) one of the reasons I ran for office was I wanted to – I knew that there were things that the city wasn't able to provide that would bring development to the city. And there's a point where if you don't have the resources to – service developers and their needs they won't come to your city mm-hmm. i'm not going to wait six months to get this permit if you make oh. it difficult for them yeah they're yeah, not they gonna, make, they'll they're just not, go somewhere else they'll, they'll go somewhere else and they did they went to shambly and they went to they've been going to shambly for sure no exactly and i think part of that was because they had a streamlined staff that was large enough to manage these big projects that were going to get built in a timely manner where doraville didn't and to be able to hire the staff to be able to provide that service, the only solution was to raise the mill rate. Yeah. Um, one thing that I found interesting, too, that made me feel okay about doing that, I knocked on over a 1,000 doors when I was campaigning to run for office. And what I did when I was campaigning was ask people, what concerns do you have and what would you like me to, what would you like to see me do? And no one said, my property taxes in Doraville are too high. Hmm. I never heard that come out of anyone's mouth. What I heard was, why isn't there any development here? Why is Shambly growing and we're not? And I want to have the kind of amenities that Shambly's providing its citizens here in Doraville. And to get to that, what they were asking for, we had to raise property taxes. Yeah, And at the end of the day, we were talking about your average homeowner, it raised their taxes like $50 or $60 a year. And that's like a cup of coffee or two a month. You know, we're not talking, it's not going to put anybody out on the street. Right. And it did provide a lot of revenue for the city to be able to provide these services that I believe are needed for us to grow. Yeah. Well, most people with a mortgage, they just pay the mortgage company, and the mortgage company pays the property taxes, you know. Or right, put it in and, the, and their monthly they... payment might go up 5 or $6 a month from us raising taxes, which I don't think is going to kill anybody. And My wife would notice. <laughs> I would not. I would not. <laughs> yeah, but it was a necessary thing to do, and I could see possibly that Dunwoody may be at the point where to – provide services and amenities that people are asking for like i don't know if people are wanting more park and rec service or everything that your city's asking for too probably you know, no exactly parts and paths and... Yeah, 
you know, we were big on paving for a while, but pretty much everything's paved now. And so, but if you want to build, like if the city's wanting to build uh, a lot of trail systems and that kind of thing, then the money's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. And if, again, a small increase in property taxes in Dunwoody yields a lot more money. And y'all could probably get a lot done by a you know a small increase in your property taxes. They need to do that roundup thing like they do at the supermarket where they you check out. They say you want to round up and give your money to. I, I'd do that. You know, round up to the next like tenth of a, oh not tenth of a. Yeah, you know, to like, the next por- percentage of a mill. Yeah, and just <laughs> round it up and. But again, if you own a. $150,000 house, one mil's not that much. If you own a three, you know, three quarters of a million dollar house, a mil's a lot, yeah. a lot more. And so you have to be, you know, they have to be careful with that. That, you know, if, as the home you know, prices. Nice homes that people Yeah, the people out. with nice homes are going to get hit a lot harder. And if you've got a lot of people that have expensive homes, then. It could have an impact that people would notice. You guys are also dealing with the elevated lanes. What do you, what do you think about those elevated lanes that are going to be coming through? Yeah. The, Speaking the, of getting things from, you know, maybe we can get something out of GDOT, right? Right. And, and GDOT's been planning this for 10 years. Mm-hmm. This is not something new that is being brought to the table. Um, I've heard some people act they were surprised about this. I, I, I'm a little confused about that because that's been in the works for a long time. It got put on hold during the recession for obvious reasons, as property values dropped, the tax base dropped, and GDOT's money dried up. But now that the economy's booming and home prices have jumped up, taxes are rolling in again, and GDOT's got the money to fund this thing, they're ready to go. And my experience with GDOT, or limited experience with GDOT, has been when GDOT wants to do something, GDOT's going to do it. They're doing it, yeah. Yeah, they're doing it. And this elevated thing lane is happening. And... As a city, I could get up and scream about, oh, my God, I don't want this thing towering over, you know, some of the houses in my city. GDOT's going to build it anyway. And so at this point, I feel the best strategy is to try to work with GDOT and see if they can provide some resources that we don't have now. And one of the things that I'm excited about with this project coming into Doraville is first it's going to provide connectivity to the assembly plant or the assembly project. They they bought some property from Integral to put a managed lane exit ramp into the development. Oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. So that, when you're on an elevated <clears throat> lane, you could exit into the assembly? Yes. That's sweet. Ooh, that is kind of nice. And really so, nice. you know, people, oh. as they build housing there and as there's because we did do we recently passed an ordinance where there's open container and part of that area to create an entertainment district mm. and so they're planning on putting like a microbrewery and restaurants and you know it. have kind of a little nightclub scene going on there and so if we have a managed lane dropping into that development that's going to really kick start people wanting to be part of that development because it's just you're ready to go you just get on the lane you're out on the elevated lanes and you're driving home that, that let me stop you for a second that's pretty interesting so if there's going to be an exit there there might not be one at shallowford hmm. you know that seems pretty close i'm all in now we're trying to figure out where the the exit lanes are going to be in Dunwoody. no and that's the kind of thing where that's why you work with gdot in this instead of fighting them right. is 
to try to steer them to put the lane where you want it. Yeah. And you want everybody to go past the city, but if they want to stop in the city, they need to be able to stop in the city. Correct. And you want people that can afford to access those lanes to be able to get on them from your city mm-hmm. and not have to drive to your neighboring city to get on them. Yeah. Because then that well, just... That would be my entrance ramp or my exit ramp. Because if there's not a ramp in your city, that just creates traffic problems in your city because people have to drive out of your city on surface streets to get to the ramp to get on those lanes right. somewhere else. And so having a ramp in your city helps traffic problems and helps alleviate traffic congestion in your city. The other thing that GDOT's telling us they're willing to do is we, at this point, we don't have good connectivity from the Tilly Mill District of Doraville with MARTA and the assembly development. And they're talking about building a bridge across 285 so that not only will they have access to the managed lanes on the inside the perimeter, that outside the perimeter will also have access. And doing in doing that, they're willing to build a mixed-use trail across the bridge that will connect Tilly Mill to the MARTA station. And in doing so, we can then do a road diet on the three-lane Flowers Road connection, which never made sense why that's three lanes anyway. We could change one of those lanes into a mixed-use trail that would connect the new Carver Hills development down on uh, New Peachtree or Peachtree Road Mm -hmm. up to the MARTA station because the people that are building that out, they've been asking us, how can our residents get to the MARTA station? And Those are the type of people that will use MARTA too, the townhome folks. No, no, exactly. They're they're very very interested in that. And as we were talking about before the show – the trying to get it under 285 on Peachtree Industrial is suicide. And so there's really no way for the residents in that development and even where you're at here in Dunwoody to get to the MARTA station. You go up down Tilly Mill to Peachtree Industrial, you're going to go under that bridge at, yeah. at on 285? Nobody is. And so this would provide connectivity even as far off as this area of Dunwoody could take a trail down, go up, and go across up there at New Peachtree to get to the MARTA station. That's and cool. so it We're could... all kinds of new stuff today. No, it could, it could provide a, a way of connecting a trail system possibly that Dunwoody's created to a Doraville trail system that... That would be a regional solution, and I yeah. think a and lot. You guys are going to connect to Chambly, you know, essentially that town center area is kind of right behind Assembly. Right, and 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 that's one of the things that we need to be working with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, Dunwoody, Chambly, Brookhaven, all of us when we're talking about these trails because it's a regional solution. Yeah, and I think. 20 years ago, most of these cities, we well, all weren't, didn't even, weren't even a city then. Nobody but, cared about trails, right? Or, or, I mean, well, well, but nobody, nobody cared about regional thinking. It was all in a vacuum. Each little city inside our boundary, we're going to take care of ourselves. But now that the metro areas become more connected, mm-hmm. 
and more filled in that some of these things like trail systems, like housing affordability, they're regional problems. Yeah. We had a meeting down with CPACs with, there were representatives from Chamblee, from Brookhaven, and from Doraville talking about housing affordability and trying to keep people that are currently living in our cities from being displaced as development and gentrification comes in, which we know is going to happen. Yeah. Part of especially what, where you're at. I mean. No, especially in, in Doraville. And part of what makes Buford Highway so cool is all the diversity. And Decatur had this same thing happen. And if you look at their history, they were a very diverse community. Gentrification came in and... They're no longer a diverse community. Mm-hmm. It's basically a bunch of wealthy people that can afford to live in Decatur, and all the cool little shops and stuff that were there, they're gone. Right. And Dorville's got this whole cool food thing going on with all the, you know, you could eat from any country in the world on Beaufort Highway, but if we don't make sure that people, basically the non white people, can stay in Doraville, then all of that will disappear and it will get gentrified and just turn into a Starbucks and a a, big assembly all over. (laughs) Right. And, and even assembly is aware that they need to be providing an affordable housing component. Workforce housing is part of that development. And they're going to have that. They're going to have really, yes, that was part of the agreement on the TAD was that, I believe 20% of it was going to be affordable to 80% AMI and below. Okay. Um, Interesting. I figured it, they would all be overpriced no, condoms and condos. No, and, and, and they are, they're, they're looking at the tax credit into that. Okay. Uh, they asked me to be on the board for the low, uh, the affordable housing board of directors or whatever of that part of the project. Okay. And so that's something I'm passionate about. And I'm not a big fan of subsidized housing. I would like to try to find a solution that provides naturally occurring affordable housing that's sustainable. Uh, some of that may be smaller units, more density. There's people I know that don't like the sound of that. But that's kind of the reality of a lot of large cities in the world. And I think Atlanta's getting to that point where... Well, especially because you're on Peachtree Industrial. I mean, there's going to be that apartment complex built where right behind Oasis. That's, Correct. I mean, and you're going to see a lot of that, I think. I know. I think so, too. And I'm really excited about that development coming in. That's one of the first things that's been built in a long time. I think in the past, Doraville has been reluctant to allow apartments for whatever reason. I think there was a stigma where people believe that when you said apartments, you were going to build Techwood Homes in Doraville, yeah. and it was going to be government a government housing project. Nobody does that anymore. Nobody builds stuff like that. That's not what's going to happen. Um, when you look at what's been built in Chamblee, it's mostly apartments. Right. And they're nice. And they're nice apartments. Well, Doraville's, every time somebody's come and wanted to build apartments in Doraville, they've said no. And the, the develop- city has said no? The city has said that. Yeah. And so the, the word's gotten out, don't even bother asking because Doraville's not going to let you build an apartment there. And so they went somewhere else. And that's a big reason, in my opinion, from what I've heard talking with developers, that was the message they got yeah. from previous councils and, you know. Yeah. 
the elected officials. And we're different now. We're ready. We understand that that's the market. That's what people are wanting. A lot of younger people want apartments. They don't want to buy a home or a townhouse. They want the flexibility of being able to move to another city if they need to because their job changed. And the whole job market's changed from what it was 20 years ago. You have to be have that mobility and ability to like if the job opening comes in San Francisco or Chicago or New York, you got to be ready to move. You got to be able to move. Yeah. And if you own a house, you can't do that. And there's a lot of industries today that work like that, especially in the IT kind of stuff. People have to be able to move where the market is and you need to have housing for that demographic of people. And right now Doraville doesn't have anything. I feel like Doraville's got some momentum in the right direction. And I hope I feel like this recent change in the council brought some fresh faces in, and I hope we'll continue to move in the direction that we are, um, trying to bring in new development while keeping the same kind of feel that Doraville's has. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm, I'm so close to Doraville that I wish you luck. I would right. love, because would we'll, love for some night. Even apartment complexes next to Oasis is better than nothing next to Oasis. You no, know, I mean, there's right. assembly is going to be nice. There's a lot of a lot of good things coming in the next few years. You don't guys. want a big chemical factory or something like that. In other words, um, <laughs> it's better than nothing. There, you know, like, <laughs> that'll help with taxes. Yes, but I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of the city was overbuilt in retail, and what we're seeing is. What we're seeing is people that are buying up these old strip malls and stuff and wanting to tear them down and redevelop them into either apartments or mixed use. And one of the things that we had a conversation with this developer when he was pitching this apartment complex was, we're okay with it not being mixed use. And I think some cities have made a mistake in writing into their code that has to have ground floor retail. I think there's places in a city, especially if you're replacing a failed shopping center, why would you insist on there being ground floor retail when it didn't work when it was a standalone retail? Right. You know, if it's if it's an area that you're replacing retail that was successful, then yeah, that makes sense. But I think it's a mistake to write in your ordinance that you insist that every development have ground floor retail, and we're not going to do that. Yeah. Another thing I'm really excited about is our city developed a downtown redevelopment master plan. And I think for years, the city has misused the resource that it has of all the property that's right across the street from Amarna Station. And so where is where would this be? This would be near, near where the uh, city... City Hall is, I guess? This is It would be where the City Hall is okay. and where the current police department is. Our plans are to move City Hall and the police department somewhere else in the city and get off that property. We own all that property from the tree line over to the other side of the street City Hall's on. Okay. And we've had some developers look at the area, and they're very excited about the possibilities of doing a redevelopment there. Um, the idea would be that we allow high density to be built there along with a town center and some sort of an amphitheater park component to it. Use the lower part of it for a retention pond that would also be a park like they did at Old Fourth Ward and provide 
the stormwater resources for all this development on a city-owned piece of property that they would like pay into and <clears throat> it would create a big increase in our tax base and also provide this workforce housing that we were talking about because being that close to a transit station you could eliminate the parking requirements and I think it could bring a lot of rooftops into the city that would also bring in retail and restaurants and just life into the other side of the Morna Station from where this assembly is happening. Mm -hmm. And we've had a lot of interest in doing some development down New Peachtree from the Morna Station towards Shambly, towards where the new school is. Okay. And I think this could tie in to the, that whole project. We've also had a increase in interest in public arts and that's something we're going to be pushing here soon is um, a public arts ordinance working with the atlantic human club to develop a community arts center down there and try to create like an artist conclave kind of in this whole same area right to bring tourism into the city that's so cool. i'm excited Dunway's about kind of doing that same thing too so you guys need to hook up with them for sure right and i think that a lot of cities like Asheville has have reached out to the artist community and that's ended up driving their economic development having an artist community in the city and i think that's something that dorville's been ignoring for way too long yeah and if you guys make a pond we've got some pond water we can give you and some geese too yeah bring the geese up send the ducks to grease geese over yeah we're getting rid of our geese <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> well, anyway thanks for having me guys yeah this is great thanks so much okay Thank you.